This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. 27 to 19, your Pittsburgh Steelers victorious over the Denver Broncos. 27 points. Yeah, who would have seen that coming? What an absolutely great performance from top to bottom from your Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, I know that defensive collapse is worrisome, but doesn't matter because almost losing means you won, as I've said many times before. But looking at kind of the individual performances here on this episode, it starts with number 22, who I think was the MVP of the game for the Steelers. I don't think I'll get any argument from you, Jacob Recht. I am Tom Opferman, and we make up the Steelers. Standard, Najee Harris, 23 carries, 122 yards, a 5.3 average, a touchdown, 20 on the long as far as his runs are concerned. I know he had another 18-yard run in there as well. Um, The most impressive part about Najee Harris to me so far is not his athleticism, even though it's freaky good. I mean, he jumped over some large men to get into the end zone for his touchdown going over the top, but it's his ability to take hits at the NFL level. I mean, safeties do not want to punish this guy. He is, I think, obviously King Henry is the most punishing back in the NFL. There's just no way you could ever reach that point. I think he had another 150 yards. Yeah, he's insane. I think he is at like 650 and no one else is, I think, at 500 yet. And um, to kind of... My point that I'm trying to make, though, is he's a linebacker, so it's right. impossible to tackle him without feeling it if you're a linebacker or a safety. Jacob, honestly, I might be getting a little too ahead of my skis here, Uh-oh. but I think Najee Harris is the second most punishing back in the NFL right now. I, I mean, players bounce off of him. Players, the first guy almost never brings almost him never. down. Almost never. And if it is the first guy that brings him down, say he touches him after a two-yard gain— well, buckle up because you're going for a ride for another two or three yards because Najee seems to just need one or two yards on his own untouched, and he'll turn those two-yarders into three, four, five-yard gains. It's so encouraging to see, but, I mean, really, off the top of your head, who is more punishing than he is in these, other than Derrick Henry, of course, through this point of the season? I mean, I know Dalvin Cook can really lay the pop, but, but he's he has more been healthy, guy, and he really of, likes to pace, juke around yeah. people. Christian McCaffrey, same way. A lot of change of pace. Nick Chubb, maybe. Nick Chubb, maybe. Zeke, maybe. Zeke. Uh, that these are the guys that I'm thinking are but in I that think echelon. That's about but it. Najee's in that class no, I'm already. I'm saying I think it's King Henry in a class of his own, and, and then, then it's, it's the like Najees and the Chubbs, and, and, Najee, and Najee's yeah. already there, man. He he's a guy that a safety's watching film, and he's saying to his defensive lineman in the film room, "Please don't let this guy get to the secondary, because <laughs> I don't want to be taken for a ride all game long." But th- that's exactly what you get if he breaks into that second level. Good luck bringing him down because it's not going to be easy. No, it's not going to be easy. And strong man, you, you strong. had said to start. There is no argument against Najee Harris being the MVP of this game, and I will not provide any argument to to push back on that statement by you whatsoever. It's crazy. I remember saying to you, I think it was either in the Raider game or the the Bengals game when he eclipsed 100 yards through the air, and I said, what were the bets that he would get 100 yards on through the air before he got 100 yards on the ground? It's just it's not what you see typically out of rookies, uh, especially rookies who are drafted as high as Najee Harris was, considering the market on running backs in the draft is always so weak. 
you would think that when it's taken that early, you would think, well, he's got to be used as a running back. And that's just not what Najee Harris is. He's so versatile. But not only is he versatile, he is this strong beast, this strong force of nature that it's going to take more than one guy to get him down. That's that's really the beauty of Najee Harris's game is when the Steelers utilize him, when, when he's most effective is when it's on first down and immediately the Steelers are looking at a second and five or a second and four because he can just break that first tackle so easily and it's going to take a couple of more guys to get him down and he's being dragged down by the time he's already gained four or five yards. And right now, when you're looking at the Steelers' offense with Najee Harris on first down getting the ball compared to the start of the year when he wasn't being given that opportunity and especially last year when he wasn't even on the team, the Steelers not only weren't setting up at second and five, they were setting up at second and 10, maybe second and 13 because the inability yeah. to get a good run on first down or whatever pass was thrown, similar to what you've seen on fourth down this year, you saw a lot of it on first down last year, was just those swing passes that really negated, either led to negative yards or yielded no gain whatsoever. So you're already putting yourself in a in a plus five, plus six, plus seven yard advantage to what you were doing a year ago. Absolutely. And you saw almost immediately the running game look different at the jump from this. You saw the offensive line really getting that push down the field. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that we have to touch on as well because it's not all on Najee Harris. Yeah, he looks like an absolute thoroughbred and had his breakout performance of the year, but he had his biggest lanes in front of him. I mean, if you hear the call from Bill Hilgrove on the 20-yarder, he says, Ben, hand off to Najee and the Red Sea parts. And he just has all this room to operate with. And offensive line, we kind of opened our show last week after the Packer game and said, you know, offense is starting to crawl a little bit maybe. Baby steps are being taken. The line's improving slightly. Well, they took another step forward this week, say, a big step forward. We were saying Our little week, baby boys on the offensive line might be running right now at this point. Well, let's, it's let's, a waddle. Let's it, it's a waddle here. run, but it's they're moving We now. were I saying mean, last week you couldn't even call it a step. You wanted to call it a crawl. Well, now maybe the little baby is able to stand up and, and step with the help of the parents holding the hands. I'd say them. without the help of the parents, 147 yards on a really good run defense is, is nothing to scoff at. Yeah, I mean – did you hear Von Miller's name once yesterday? Zero times. I don't think I heard it a they single completely time. took him out of the game. Completely neutralized him, and that was your main target on defense in terms of your strategy preparing for this Denver game was Von Miller. This was the first time he's been fully healthy in, in what, two years now and maybe even longer, and this guy, when healthy, can be the best defender in the league. At least one of them, as long as Aaron Donald's still playing, especially. But still, he, he he is respected. We talked about in an earlier segment how the Steelers didn't seem to respect Teddy Bridgewater's ability as a, as a passer. There's no way that the Steelers were going to overlook Von Miller here. But wow, what a job by the offensive line, Tom. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I've talked myself into thinking because of the way they neutralized Von Miller, the best defender they've seen all season long. Right, I think there's only a couple of guys, maybe Max Crosby, and in terms of defensive guys up front, 
is the is the closest guy you saw in terms of talent to Von Miller. But Von Miller, by far and away, is the best defender you've seen if you're the Steelers through five weeks. I agree. And you completely took him out of the game. Najee Harris averaged five yards per carry, and that's exactly what you need. That's exactly why you got him. Because even though we were saying last year, oh, well, when James Conner was healthy, he could average four yards per carry. Najee Harris, even when he's cramping up, he's still getting you five yards per carry. And that's why you had to bring in a guy like Najee Harris. Because, yes, we know the offensive line is depleted, isn't performing nearly as well as you thought to start the season. Najee Harris is good enough to make up for that bad of an offensive line. And this is... This is where all of our concerns can really be washed away is because it's not easy for a rookie to come in and just run out the gates the way he did in college when he was playing for Nick Saban in Alabama when he was playing with the best prospects, the best kids at, at his level in the country, right? You're, if you're on Alabama, you're playing next to the greatest guy at his oh, position yeah. as well as you playing at the best at your position. <laughs> so to come onto the Steelers... And I know Najee Harris was was very uh, deterred by the Steelers' early lack of success, starting one think, and three. He never lost three straight games in college. In ever. college and high school, probably I mean, never. Like, he had what was the comment he made about Alabama when they lost two games? He was like, "It, it was the end of the world to lose yeah. two games, and now I've lost three here already part of through the, four weeks." Part of how high class rookies like that who play at those programs, and Trevor Lawrence is going through right now. You need a good coach out there and, and good teammates around him to just to build you this up. This is the yeah. NFL. Like, you lose. It's going to happen. Like, you lose in this league. Like It's not just you lose. You lose six or seven times and you're a playoff team. So, like, uh-huh. this is this is just life up here. you got to adjust to it. So, especially when you look at the, the Buffalo game to start the season, he got, what, 13 carries to start? Yes. And I think against the Raiders, he only had 16 carries in that game. It, it's it's becoming more and more evident that a he's becoming more comfortable getting the ball and b the Steelers are feeling a lot more comfortable giving him the ball. So you're saying that the offensive line is taking steps. Najee Harris is taking full on strides at becoming one of the better running backs in this league. Only five weeks into his career. Oh my God! I I think he's already top ten in my mind. I'm saying he he is taking stride after stride. Of getting of getting to that upper echelon. Yeah, you heard Tomlin say in the post game, you know, he's getting better every single week, and he said that's expected of the the Steelers. That's are what he said every week since I think week two, right? Because he really had a bad day, but it wasn't his fault because he wasn't given the ball enough times against Buffalo. Every week, you've seen Najee Harris improve. The expectation is for that to happen as well, as Tomlin mm-hmm. said. He's got all the skill in the world, and he's a smart guy as well. Really well-put-together uh, back that the Steelers picked in the first round, the complete package. And you know what? You pick a running back out of Alabama, most likely going to get a guy. I mean, Ingram's been really solid. Derrick Henry, Derrick a couple more. Uh, Damien Harris, I believe, went to Bama for, I think so. for uh, the Patriots. He's solid back. I mean, now Najee Harris. I mean, Wasn't Joe Mixon a Bama guy, too? I'm not. I, Oklahoma. Joe Oklahoma. Mixon went to Oklahoma. But, I mean... Alabama, that's running back university right there. You take a you take a running back from there, you're likely getting a bell cow. Let's talk about the receiving core, and let's sure. talk about Ben. Because Ben was getting a lot of the brunt of criticism, and I think justly so, leading into this game. But you see when you have a really strong running game How it can and, help the, you and the offensive the line yep. is playing well, 
how a 39-year-old quarterback who still can throw the ball is a viable option to win you football games. When Ben only has to throw the ball 25 times and he completes 15 of them for 253 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions, only sacked one time, and the majority of the time that he's you know under center or in shotgun, he's handing the ball off, it's exactly what you want. That's exactly how you have to deal with a 39-year-old quarterback. You kind of got to put him in, in bubble wrap, and you got to treat him like he's very fragile, and that's kind of what they did in this game against the Broncos, establishing that running game. That's how you move forward, and that's how you get the most out of Ben. And on those drives that I was talking about to start the first half, when it was Najee Harris getting the ball, right? There were some drives even where it, Ben did throw the ball in first down, and if it wasn't completed, if, if it went for two yards, Najee Harris was still getting the ball after that to get you that first down. And even on the drives where Najee Harris got the ball on first and second down but couldn't get enough for the full 10 to get the first down, Ben was just throwing those those short dink and dunk passes that he's capable of, of throwing. The difference here, Tom, is the fact that you're running those plays on third and one, on third and two, when you only need to get one or two yards. When you're throwing those balls on first and ten or, 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 or second and nine or second and ten or if there's a bad play to start or first and 15 or a second 15, you, you know you're going to go three and out. You're, you, know, you know you're not going to get that lead stick because you're – you're starting your drive that far back, and you're only trying to get two or three yards. When Najee Harris is giving you, putting you in the position where you only need one yard to gain, two yards a game, let Ben throw the ball two yards down the field as, as long as it's ahead of the line of scrimmage. And that's another thing, Tom. I don't know if I saw one pass thrown either laterally at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage, something that we've seen in back-to-back weeks. And the, and the Packers and and the uh, Bengals game, absolutely. You know, and that's positive step forward again. You know, we're talking about this offense starting to get on their feet and move forward a little bit, and that's just another part of it. But uh, Chase Claypool, we mentioned him in an episode we did earlier that you can check out. Uh, but wow, what a good bounce back performance from him! I one, think that's what you needed. One criticism, he had a combat catch on the sidelines, and I'm not saying he comes down with it, but he made a real poor effort on it. I mean, he hit off his face mask. But he makes up for that mightily. Obviously, that slant route, he really showed his speed. I said to Crowley the other night, you know, a little deceptive with that speed because I think he's such a built he's dude. So he's so big. big. But he's got Martavis Bryant speed. I think he's I actually faster than Martavis Bryant. I don't know if anyone's faster than Martavis Bryant. No, I, I, I really you think, think so? on his 40 time, he was a slight faster than Martavis but you saw that speed on display running down the sideline as he turned the ball up the field and then a really nice catch in the end zone for mm-hmm. his touchdown by the way Jacob What's you notice where Ben threw that ball middle of the field and it was a good pass high pointed a really tall target Chase Claypool went up the ladder brought it down so good on the quarterback and good on Chase Claypool on that play but Claypool putting up receiver number one kind of numbers, and then, of course, Deontay chipping in with just those two catches, but one of them being a 50-yard bomb for a touchdown. Really quick, I just looked this up. The 40 times for Chase Claypool and Martavis Bryant, 40 time for Chase Claypool, 4-4-2. 40 time for Martavis Bryant, 4-4-2. So they're exactly the same speed. I guess so. And Marta- or Claypool, I think, is a little bit more of a complete package Absolutely. than Martavis Bryant. Well, hey, he can... Be a complete package for you. He's available. 
Mark right. Davis, he's not Mark high. Davis Bryant he's is, not high all the time. Mark Davis Bryant is not being fined and suspended. Chase Claypool, you mean? Ev- like Martavis Bryant? No, Martavis. Sorry, Chase Claypool yeah, is not being doing fined, that. Yeah, he suspended. he is not being suspended to start the season or to end the season like Martavis Bryant did so every year of his career. I mean, this is one of the, these games. I mean, you saw them last year, and this one now against Denver are why people were saying at the beginning of the year Chase Claypool is the most likely candidate to step up and be a number, a true number one receiver mm-hmm. in this offense and in the NFL. I mean, you see it on display in games like he had against Denver. I think the biggest hiccup now is the consistency. I mean, go out next week against the Seahawks and put up 100 yards again, Chase. You know what I mean? You start building these up. You start building these performances together. You don't have to do it for 12 games in a row, but, you know, groups here and there, two games here, four games there, getting into 100 yards. Then you start to establish yourself as that upper echelon in the NFL. So it's obvious that he can do it one game, maybe two games at a time. Start linking that together. Start linking these performances together. And I think you'll start to really shoot up the uh, eyes of a lot of people around the league. But as far as who's the front dog for the number one receiver now, I think it's Deontay. I think he's the best receiver they <laughs> have. Just, I thought you were going to go Claypool. No, I, I think it's like Deontay. I thought you were talking yourself into saying Chase Claypool. No, I think Deontay's the best route runner that they have. I think he's the most explosive player other than Najee Harris that they have on the offense. Honestly, I think even though his first catch – came on the touchdown his only other catch i think was more impressive yeah the jukes that he made i mean that could have been a a simple 10 yard gain he extended that for another 15 maybe 20 yards that was i mean the jukes that he made no one i think is quicker on their feet maybe only antonio brown right now in the nfl is better on their feet getting out of breaks than deontay johnson i agree that's why I think he draws a lot of comparisons to Antonio Brown is because of that aspect of his game. And he's kind of been Mr. Hands as far as the receiving core has been concerned. Not a single drop Not so far year this long. year. And knock on wood because he was the biggest culprit as far as drops were concerned last season. Not the case this year. And we know his work ethic. And you got to think probably that's, that's got to contribute, right? Because last year, as the season was coming down – to the end, there were narratives such as the losing streak. There were narratives such as the distractions off the field provided by other wide receivers. And there were distractions on the field by drops committed by Deontay Johnson. However, you still saw him put in the work more so than maybe anyone else. Another kind of Antonio Brown relation there because no one prepared, no one worked out harder than Antonio Brown did. Deontay Johnson didn't just hear the criticisms and and mouth back off to the media like a lot of diva wide receivers can do and and have done in this league recently. He he just shut up and put the work in, and I think it's translating this year. Zero drops, a couple of touchdowns, great routes run. The guy is really stepping up. I I just don't know, Tom. I don't don't really care, though. If you're going to get that kind of day out of Deontay Johnson and that kind of day out of Chase Claypool— let let it go back and forth. Let Deontay be the star one week and then Claypool the next. Or, or Claypool two weeks in a row and then Deontay gets one week in there. I don't think you need one guy. I think Ben can Ben knows what he has in each respective guy and their respective talents. And Ben will be able to recognize what he needs to do, who he needs to get the ball the ball to that, that given game, that given week. 
On the defensive side of the ball, uh, I think their two stars, their two main players, Fitzpatrick and Watt, played an okay game, but I think that there were some pretty glaring mistakes from both of them. Watt's biggest mistake being where the hell did you go in the second half and in mm-hmm. the fourth quarter. I mean, that's when I'm expecting Watt to get that sack. I'm expecting, you know, as we're working the, the radio side of things, to hear Billy get out there with his, he's hit, he sacked T.J. Watt's the man on the scene. Like, I was waiting for that, especially on that last Denver drive. I wanted T.J. Watt to end it, ice the game. $80 million man, that's what you get paid to do, is to end games like that. Uh Never happened, and he really never seemed to be getting close to home. And then Minka Fitzpatrick, I know he led the team in tackles with 10. Had a tackle for a loss, too. Really, really outstanding job on that play. Broncos running a little tricky opposite run play where they pitched it to Javante Williams. Everybody was going to the right. Williams goes to the left. And Minka Fitzpatrick, from his safety position, reads it the entire way and gets a big tackle for loss there. But on the big Javante Williams run... Alex Highsmith got sealed off, and Minka Fitzpatrick, buddy. I mean, you got to be able to make that tackle. That's a f- eight-yard, ten-yard gain if mm-hmm. Minka Fitzpatrick makes the tackle. All of a sudden, it's a forty-nine-yard gain because he isn't able to. I, you made ten of them. You led the team play. in tackles. Yeah. You're a two-time All-Pro man. You got to make that play. And there was another play where an interception. I mean, it could have been picked off for him, and he does not get there. And then you go back last week against the Packers. He had one right in his hands that would have been a tough interception. But, again, as a back-to-back first-team All-Pro, you you make those plays. So I know he didn't play a bad game. Players of his caliber don't really ever play bad games. And the same goes for T.J. Watt. I think the more appropriate term is Minka and Watt had – less of an impactful game than you hope to see from both of those top two dogs on your defense. For different reasons, yes, and it's unfortunate because you expect them to be your two two of your best defenders, but Tom, this is not just a two-headed monster on this defense. There is a third head to this defense, and that guy continues to be, I think, the best defender on this team all season long, and that's Cam Hayward on the defensive line. He leads the team in pass breakups, when was the last time you saw a defensive lineman lead a team in pass breakups? When he's not out there in the secondary, when that's his sole, that's his sole responsibility. I know we're, we're a little down on the performance of Minka Fitzpatrick on the season, and T.J. Watt, after being a little hobbled against the Packers, dealing with that groin injury, with him being fully available to you this week, you had higher expectations than he did last week, and he didn't meet those expectations. But Cam Hayward continues to be the best defensive lineman, one of the best defensive linemen in the league right now, if not right now, playing only second fiddle to Aaron Donald. I think I agree with that. Cam Hayward, uh, I heard this from Matt Williamson, he's getting more attention than any NFL lineman, and that's including Aaron Donald so far this year. And the reason that that's the case is because Chris Wormley, Isaiah Bugs, Isaiah Loudermilk. There's no yeah, respect I'll for take those guys, guys one on one all day long. I will give a lot of attention to number 97. I mean, that's the scheme that all their offenses are bringing to the table now when they face the Steelers, because they don't want number 97 to wreck the game. But Jacob, as you just illustrated, he's finding ways to still make his impact felt despite the fact that, I mean, he's just being taken completely out of the game based on the offense's scheme and the offense's attention being paid to him. um, You need other guys to step up, and you saw that a little bit in this game. You saw Mondo 
get himself a sack. You saw Loudermilk get a sack that was called back because of right. holding, but that's still great because you're causing chaos. You're getting a holding call on you. So you saw a couple other guys step up, but it's only going to be few and far between that those guys make a big play in the uh, – while Cam Hayward's getting all the attention, you need to get at least Alu Alu. You need to get to it back to really We're not have Hayward get Tyson felt Alu back. To it though, looking a little svelte on the uh, south side. A couple pictures appearing of him last week, getting some runs in. It looks like he might be ready to resume practice There's, activity. We, we still haven't heard a single date. Uh-uh. Uh uh. According to Mr. Stan Savern on the post game last uh-uh. night, we're hoping that after the bye week. Mr. Two will be starting to rejoin the team with practices. So, do you think that's just a couple weeks away? Or is that rumblings from Mr. Saverin? But you know that man is pretty plugged in. He hears things that are pretty, pretty, pretty likely to end up being true. I, I think that that's just you know he's starting to work out a little bit on his own. I think that's just the the new target area. I don't want to say date because there's not a specific date, but target area is post by yeah. So don't expect him to be out there for Seattle. <laughs> that no, that I, I know I for sure. I don't expect him to be out there for Seattle, and I don't know if I expect him to be out there for the Cleveland game, which is what the first game. The first game following the bye week. That would be, I think, only because of the game circumstances, right? Say somehow, with G- because Geno Smith is the quarterback, the Steelers are in a good position to win against Seattle. So now you're 3-3. Three and three. So if you really want a fighting chance to make the playoffs, it's got to start with Cleveland after the bye. I I don't want to rush to it back, Tom, but certainly having that bye going into the Cleveland game will help you if you want to get him back for that. But if you are 3-3 three and three going into that game against Cleveland, I think T- Stefan Tewitt is a guy that can say, and certainly Cam Hayward can get in his ear and says, buddy, we need you for this game. We're... We're not going to be able to win. Stop! I'm not going to be able to stop Nick Chubb and and, and uh, Kareem Hunt all on my own. I need you out there with me. TJ's going to need you out there with us. Maybe I could see that happening. If you don't win against Seattle and then you drop the two and four, yes, I understand that you could say that there's still a fighting chance. You're only six weeks into the season, but you know the bulk of your schedule is coming after that. I don't know if Stefan Tua rushes back for that game. I think it. I think a lot of it depends on the outcome of the Seattle game. I agree with you. I, I think a, a lot of things play off of this Seattle game. But to kind of put a bow on, you know, Steelers and Broncos, you get to two and three, and you'd mentioned how a lot of things ride on that Seattle game. You should be three and three heading into your bye week. Then you got the game at Cleveland. That's tough. Even if you lose, you're three and four. Right. You could still. Go five and four I with think, home games against Chicago and home games I against Detroit. I think at this point, sitting here in this room, best with case you, scenario is five and four. Not just best case scenario, my friend. I think that's expected. I think that's what you I should. Think what I think you, that's you what you should, you should get to. Like I think that's the new goal. That's and that, maybe not okay. Best best case scenario is you you also be Cleveland. You somehow be Cleveland and you're and six, you're six and, and three. three, and then it's that's like, best whoa. case. I think. St- Floor for you should be five, five and four. four. You can't. Nine you have to go three and one in these next four games. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, I know that that sounds harsh, but you're trying to make up a lot of ground here. So you got to get this. And you know what's one. funny is the fact that you went one and three to start the season. The one win came against the most unlikely team you expected to get the win against. So is that happening down the road? Maybe potentially. Well, here's the thing: is that do you go three and one against these next four teams? And one you, of the losses you beat Cleveland like, but lose to the Bears or something exactly. like that. That could happen. Well, I will say this: the Bears game, I'm not worried about it, but. 
with Justin Fields, him getting a win in Las Vegas uh, on Sunday. Do you think that it's a little more, more worrisome than it was? Do you think that, but has, not much worse. That more. has more to do with Chicago or Vegas being exposed? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I like that the Steelers get the Bears at home. I'll say that. I yeah, think that so that bodes well, even though the Steelers are one and two at home. But that'll even out. I hope it'll even out, especially when was the this last Sunday. Time they lost more than two games at home. I don't know, it's but I while. think it'll even out this coming Sunday when the Seahawks make their trip to Heinz Field. I've, you 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 expect it to exactly. Good word to use. That'll do it for this edition of the Steelers Standard. As always, Jacob Recht and myself, Tom Offerman, are appreciative of you guys giving us a listen. We will talk to you guys on our next edition of the Steelers Standard.